period known historically as the Dark Ages, roughly 500 AD to 1500 AD, the Bible was overtly, O-V-E-R-T-L-Y, it was overtly taken out of the hands of the common man through persecution. A blank there, second one is persecution. So, how did that happen? Well, for about a thousand years, the Roman Catholic, uh, I hate to call it church, because biblically, I don't believe it's a church, but Roman Catholicism, you know, married to the government, and they're the sole interpreters of the Bible. So, they tell you what God said, and, and you get what they give you, and that's that. Uh, so, and actually, back in 1994, was it Pope John Paul II gave, uh, I think they called it a, I don't know, a confession or something of what Catholics believe, and in his confession, back in 1994, essentially said the Roman Catholic Church is the sole interpreter of the Bible. So they still really believe that, even though uh, they're a little bit more discreet and secret about it. So for a thousand years, Christians were persecuted in order and killed and martyred in order to keep the Word of God out of their hands. Now it happened through Protestantism as well. Protestants would kill uh, Christians who wanted to have the Word of God in their hands, but those Protestants were really just Catholics with a new mask, essentially. You know, they took a lot of Catholicism with them. So now, just kind of a little FYI, uh, they're changing the name from Dark Ages to Middle Ages um, because they want to hide, change history, and, uh, you know, make it like it wasn't the Catholics and people weren't killed for their faith and all that stuff. Um, so, anyways. In the last 100 years or so, we have entered a new type of Dark Ages. Now the Bible has been covertly, so just like overtly with a C in front of it, it has covertly been taken out of the hands of the common man through education. Through education. And uh, Mark chapter 12 And verse 37 says, He is not, uh, no, that's, where am I? It's not marked. Oh, wait a minute. 37, not 27. Christ said, David therefore himself calleth him Lord, and whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. So why do we put that verse in there? Just to point out that God wants the common man to be able to understand, to be able to comprehend, to know who he is, to be able to understand his word. God hasn't made his word so complicated that you've got to have a PhD in Greek and Hebrew and, uh, you know, uh, bibliology or whatever in order to understand. You don't have to have a doctors of divinity or anything like that. The common man, the person who sits in church, can study their Bible and understand it. And that's, that's really why uh, this is such a big deal. Because openly through persecution, everyone knew they couldn't have a Bible and read it for themselves. Now, kind of under, underhandedly, Satan has put on a different mask and is using education to convince people or show people or tell people that they can't understand the Bible for themselves if they don't have a degree in Greek and Hebrew, if they, uh, 
if they don't read somebody who's going to tell them what it means, they can't understand it for themselves, essentially. They need someone to tell them what it means. And uh, I was listening to a message recently, and uh, the, the preacher was talking about this subject. And he said he was at a big conference as a young man, young preacher, and he said he goes to this conference. He wouldn't say who it was, but he said if he did, everyone would know who it was. And he essentially said that, uh, you know, as preachers, he said, we need to study and become experts at Greek and Hebrew. And he said that the people in the church aren't going to do that. So we have to tell them what the Bible means because they can't understand it for themselves. And uh, this, <laughs> this young preacher took a problem with that because essentially they were saying the common man can't understand the Bible. And uh, so he took issue with that, but he was very, he didn't make a stink about it, but his buddy who was there did. And the, the pastor essentially said, the difference between us and Catholics, he said, is the Catholics want to keep the Bible from people, we want to give it to people, but we're, we have to tell them what it means. And they said, so my mom, who's been saved for 50 years, and she gets up and read her, reads her Bible in the morning, he said, she can't understand it without having a degree in Greek and Hebrew. And he said, well, she can understand enough to be saved. She can understand enough to grow a little bit, but the deep things she can never understand for herself. We have to tell her. And the guy is like, you know, you got to be kidding. So it's essentially, it's what, what's happening, and, and I think it's in the notes, we're essentially creating a modern priest class, which is that we need somebody to tell us, to go between us and God, because we can't understand the Bible for ourselves. And I say that, I don't have a Bible degree, so... I would fall in that category of the common man that can't understand the Bible for myself, and yet here I am called by God to preach it to people, so figure that out. And, you know, anyways, the apostles didn't have Bible degrees. The, you know, nobody in the Bible has Bible degrees. Now, granted, they were living. So how is that being done? A lot of it through the pushing of the original manuscripts. You know, you read a lot of doctrinal statements of churches, and they'll say, we believe in the verbal, plenary inspiration, inerrant inspiration of the Word of God. Uh, and that's great, but then they'll say, in the original languages or in the original manuscripts. And what they're really saying is that they believe God inspired the originals, but that what we have now, we have to figure out what is true and what's not. And, uh, and then the only people who have, are qualified to do that are the ones with these big degrees. So... Uh, the reality is there, is there has never been a collection of 66 books of the originals. That has never happened. The original manuscripts, they didn't exist. The book of Genesis was gone. The original was gone before the New Testament was ever, the first word of the New Testament was ever even penned. You know? So they've never had the original manuscripts all together. So anyways, I won't keep harping on that. But basically that's what's really being pushed. So, key principles. The Bible is both a spiritual and supernatural book. It's both a spiritual and supernatural book. It is therefore closed to the intellect and heart of a natural man, which is someone who is spiritually dead. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins. It's spiritual, supernatural, then natural is that third blank. And then the very last one is dead. So in other words, 
once we're saved, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we have everything we need to be able to understand what God wants us to know from His Word. The Spirit of God, the Word of God, that's what we need to understand it. Second little bullet there, God's wisdom, 1 Corinthians 2, we just read about, it's been recorded in the Bible, cannot be discerned or understood using man's wisdom. That's what we're being told here. It must be revealed, the blank there is revealed by God's own spirit. So if we consider the passage, our second, uh, 1 Corinthians 2 passage, back in verse 6, just to kind of set this context, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto glory. So we have our context. It's God's wisdom. In verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. How do we know it then? But God hath revealed it unto them by his Spirit. That's how we can know. Anyone who is spiritual can understand not only the basic truths of God's word, but even the deep truths things of God without a seminary education. Am I saying people shouldn't get educated? I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that it's not necessary for someone to understand their Bible. We can understand it at home without a degree. And, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time working with people who have Bible college degrees. Pastor Wiley didn't have one. That's who trained me. Uh, but I have friends who went to Bible college, and most of them have spent the last 10 years trying to unlearn a whole lot of things that they were taught that was wrong. Um, so, just something to contemplate. Next bullet. The Spirit of God unveils the Word of God to the mind and heart of the child of God as we trust Him to reveal His truth to us. Utilizing the principle through which God has chosen to reveal it, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, i.e. comparing Scripture with Scripture. The Word of God, the wisdom of God, is spiritual. It says over in, in Philippians, uh, no, maybe it's not Philippians. Where does it say? We have the mind of Christ? I can't think of where it says it. But I believe it's the Word of God. Compare spiritual things to spiritual. Key quote, the best commentary on the Bible. Anybody know what it is? The Bible. Right, the Bible. Very good. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So key warnings, and this will help kind of uh, solidify, illustrate, however you want to say it, that key quote. Because God has chosen to reveal his truth by comparing Scripture with Scripture, never base a doctrine on a single verse or passage. Never base a doctrine on a single verse or passage. That can be dangerous because we can read something that makes it sound like you can lose your salvation or like you got to do some weird thing 
And if we base a doctrine off of that one passage without looking at what the Bible says about the same thing in other passages, chances are we've, we've gotten it wrong. In other words, a verse or passage that has no cross-reference. A blank there is cross-reference. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 29. Here's a good one that could get us into trouble. 15, 29. It says, Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they so... I have not come to a conclusion on that. I'm sure you can find a commentator who will tell you what it means uh, based off of whatever he uses to come to that conclusion. But if we consider the principle of comparing Scripture with Scripture, the Bible doesn't speak about baptizing for the dead in any other passage. So it's probably a good idea to read it, understand it probably applied to something that was taking place at that time in that place, uh, but that is... I think it might have been a Jewish thing. I think the Mormons practiced being baptized for the dead, probably off of that one verse right there. Uh, but it's probably something we should be careful about and not, not dwell on. Never base a doctrine on a question. Never base a doctrine on a question. So here's another, uh, that same verse fits into that category. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? Question mark, question mark. Two of them in there. We don't want to base a doctrine off of a question because a question is to get us to think, not to tell us necessarily what to do. You know, it's not telling us, you need to do this. No, it's asking a question to get us to think about something. Never violate a clear, the blank there is clear, passage when trying to interpret one that is obscure. Our same 1 Corinthians 15, 29 verse. It's obscure because it has no cross-references. There's no other passage that, that explains it or helps us to understand what it means. So we don't want to take a clear passage, which is well supported by other scripture, and violate what that passage says because of one obscure passage that's the only place it, it says something specific. And then don't concern yourself with what you don't understand or can't seem to understand God will reveal it to you in his time if it's something he intends for you to know uh, you know sometimes people freak out because they can't understand a specific passage and sometimes people understand a whole lot of the Bible and then they come across one passage they can't understand and they think they're not saved because they don't you know or whatever you know just as a as an extreme example uh, you know, there will be things that we can't necessarily understand because God hasn't revealed them to us yet. Or we need to put in the study time and go through these steps we've been learning to try to figure out, well, what's the Bible saying other places about it and how can I understand this better? So, all right, we're going to just look at one. We're going to kind of use this principle of comparing Scripture with Scripture. We're not going to go and look at all the verses because we would be here probably till sometime next Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. But we're going to just look at this, uh, kind of do a 
it's not real short, but kind of a brief study, and I'll just paraphrase some verses and point out some stuff. Through, I got it in the notes here. So, All right, the virtuous woman. I will tell you, you can take this or leave it, but I, I found it to be kind of a really neat, a really neat study. It certainly gives us something to chew on at the very least. So Proverbs 31, 10 to 31, if you want to go over there. So usually when we talk about the virtuous woman, we're, we're referencing Mother's Day, a lady's study, and well, we should. It is a great picture of what God wants a godly woman, a blank there is godly woman to be. So there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that's bad or that's wrong. It is a tremendous passage. And I think Erica's teaching or working through that in ladies' meeting. No? Okay, I'm, all, I'm wrong. But you have. You have. Okay. So she has talked about that in ladies' meeting. Uh, I'm, I've preached on it for Mother's Day. So nothing wrong with that. It's a great passage. And I'll still do it. Proverbs 31.10, in a historical sense, we'll read the verse. It says, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? So in a historical sense, Solomon is asking this question to suggest to his sons and men in general that it would be wise to find this kind of a woman to marry. So blanks there are sons and marry. It would be wise to find a virtuous woman. What would happen, however, if we believe that Jesus Christ, the son of David, king of Israel, was the one asking this question? If we considered God is asking this question. Solomon's a picture of Christ in the Bible. Then, what if we go to his book to see if we can find a virtuous woman in the pages of Scripture? So we use the principle of comparing Scripture with Scripture. We have defined in Proverbs 31 what a virtuous woman is. Is there anywhere else in the Bible that refers to anyone as a virtuous woman? Well, what we'd find is out of the... Anybody know how many women are in the Bible? 188. I went through and counted them all. No, I didn't really. I didn't really. But that's what I, that's what I found through research, but that's not myself. Uh, so 188 women in the Bible, there is only one called a virtuous woman. Anybody know who it is? Besides Elijah and Erica and Elizabeth? Ruth. It is Ruth. She is the only woman in the whole Bible that the Bible calls a virtuous woman. Besides Proverbs 31, which talks about the virtuous woman. So in Ruth 31, uh, no, in Ruth 3, there's only four chapters, in Ruth 3... Sorry, 188, and then Ruth. It's okay. So in Ruth 3.11, Boaz says, For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. So that's the reference to where that was found. So as we continue to study, we find some interesting things about Ruth. There's some neat stuff that we can draw out of the book of Ruth. She was a Gentile. from a cursed race. We know she was a Moabitess, according to Genesis. The Moabites were a cursed people. She finds herself living in a famine. The blank there is famine. 
in the midst of this famine, she receives good news from a far country. That the Lord had visited his people in Bethlehem, giving them bread. So she learns, her and Naomi, and Orpah was it? Is that Orpah? I know it's not Oprah, but I often want to... It's not Orca either. It's like Oprah and Orca together. Orpah. That's what I thought. All right. So upon hearing this news, she leaves her father and mother and heads for Bethlehem to partake of the bread. She goes because she hears there's a blessing. God has provided bread for his people in Israel. Uh, specifically in Bethlehem, they go to... Uh, partake her and her mother-in-law she chose to leave her parents leave her religion your God will be my God and your people will be my people she told to Naomi so she goes with her and uh, lives in the land of Bethlehem once she arrived she just happened to go to work in a harvest field of a man that just happened to be her Jewish kinsman redeemer Just by chance. When he sees her, he falls in love with her. He then takes her out of the harvest field, makes her his bride, takes her to his home, and they lived happily ever after. It's a pretty nice story. And maybe you're already starting to see some of the pictures here. So now consider our story. We too are Gentiles from a cursed race called the human race. We have found ourselves living in the midst of a famine, one in our souls. But one day we heard good news <laughs> from a far country, a far land that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread in Bethlehem, capital B. Upon hearing this good news, we left what was dear to us and became partakers of the bread of life. Now we are laboring in the field of our Jewish kinsman redeemer. From the city of Bethlehem, that's where he was from, remember. Do you know what we are patiently waiting for? For him to take us out of his harvest field, to make us his bride, taking us to his home where we will live forever, happily, ever after. <laughs> Isn't that pretty cool? Yeah, I thought that was pretty amazing. So then we'll look here at a second. I'll go somewhat quickly, probably. So Ruth is one of the clearest pictures of the church or types of the church in the Old Testament. So we can really see this picture played out before our eyes. Now, now that we can see that the virtuous woman doubles as a picture of the bride of Christ, wow, it's pretty amazing. It, honestly, it blew my mind. I just really gives me goosebumps, actually. So understand that Proverbs 31 does have tremendous direct and important application to the woman of God. So I don't want to take away from that. We're not saying that the virtuous woman is not what every woman should aspire to be. But we also can see that doctrinally, 
there is application for the bride of Christ or the church and what he expects his bride to be and do. So we'll look at our Proverbs passage and we'll go through some verses here and just see what we get. So Proverbs 31.10, we found the virtuous woman in the book of Ruth and learned that she is a great picture of us. Proverbs 31.10, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. Her price is far above rubies. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20 tells us that we have been bought with a price. 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19 tells us that the price that was paid was far above rubies. He bought us with a substance that is red like rubies, but its value is far more precious, expensive, and rare. It is his own blood. Proverbs 31.11 says, The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. 2 Corinthians 11.2 tells us that we have been espoused to the Lord Jesus Christ. He expects us to be faithful to him. James 4.4 tells us that when we are a friend to the world, the Lord sees it as spiritual adultery. He wants to trust us to be faithful to him. He wants to He wants to be able to trust us. We know how difficult it would be to live with a spouse we couldn't trust. Well, the Lord wants to be able to trust us. Proverbs 31:12. Many start the Christian life. Well, actually let's read our verse. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Many start the Christian life, but much less Finish it well. How many people were in church and are now out of church? How many people were in the ministry but are now out of the ministry? A lot of people start the Christian life, but really few finish it well. Everybody who starts it finishes it, but they just don't all finish it well. The Lord wants us to be faithful to Him and to do Him good all the days of our lives. Verse 16 says, She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. So, in Matthew 13, 38, the Lord says, The field is the world. So if the field is the world, we can kind of understand the church, the implication to the church, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, right? Well, the world is the field. He wants us to invest our lives' work in purchasing or winning the field we are responsible for. Christ paid the price of his own blood for the field. What cost are we willing to pay? So he wants us to invest all of ourselves into the field that he has called us to. Proverbs 31, verse 20. Oh, i got to turn the page. It says, She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. So we understand... We should recognize the poor and needy, help where we can, but understand the greatest need people have is that of their souls. 
while we remember and reach out to the needy, we need to be holding forth the word of life at the same time. So many churches have just, that's all they do, is reach out to the poor and needy, but they don't concern themselves with souls. Verse 21, she's not afraid of the snow for her household. Uh, she's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. Um, so a word study on snow in the Bible, it's used many times because it's white to illustrate being clean. Uh, but it's also used as a picture of the righteous judgment of God that will one day cover the earth like snow. However, the virtuous woman is not afraid of the snow. The blank there is afraid. She's not afraid because all of her children are clothed with scarlet, the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for that. Verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. One of these days, our husband, Jesus Christ, will be seated on his throne at the east gate in Jerusalem. We long for that day when he is there ruling and reigning. 2 Corinthians 4.8 says we love his appearing. Uh, so we look for that day, we long for that day when Jesus Christ, our Savior, now also, in Revelation, it says that the apostles will have thrones in that land as well. And they're referred to a little bit later in Revelation as elders. So we can see that correlation working out quite well. Verse 25. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She is not living for this life, but for the life to come. For eternity is the blank there. She knows that her day of rejoicing is in the future when her husband is on the throne. So that's what she's looking for. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She not, may not have rejoicing like she's going to have now, but knows that the day is coming when she will. 2 Corinthians 4.18, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So she lives for the future. Verse 28. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Someday all those who uh, we have... Uh, someday all those who we've had the privilege of leading to Christ... And those who we've adopted in and helped them grow in their walk with Christ will arise up at the rapture. There will literally be a rising up at the resurrection and bless those who invested in them as their spiritual parents. It may go something like this. Bless you because I was in the field that you bought with your life. Bless you for considering that field and holding forth the word of life to a poor and needy sinner like me. Bless you for making that spiritual investment in me. I was on the phone with Pastor Cottle uh, a couple weeks ago talking about him coming up to Maine in October and he asked me, he said, you have a meeting coming up, don't you? A tent meeting? And I said, yeah. And he said, is it with that family that sings? You gave me a CD of last time I was up? And I said, yeah, it is. And he goes, oh, I enjoyed that CD. And 
he said, man, I wish I could be up there. It sounds wonderful. And I told him the last couple of years they've been up, we've had someone get saved. And, and uh, we we're talking about that. And he said, you know, Brother Nathan, he said, when you have the privilege of leading someone to Christ, he said, I really believe that in eternity, when we're in heaven, if they see us, he said, they're going to they're gonna remember and they're going to be thankful that we invested in their life that way and that we sh showed them, we gave them the truth. And that's really a beautiful picture of that here in verse 28. But it doesn't end there. Her husband also blesses her. In verse 31, give, uh, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Well, actually verse 28 said that her husband blesses her and praiseth her. That will come in the form, Matthew 25, 21, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We want to hear those words someday. I believe, hallelujah, what a day that will be. And uh, when we see our Savior face to face and prayerfully hear those words. And then, verse 31, Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. There will be rewards given as a result of our work here on earth. Let her own works praise her in the gates. We see that over in is it 1 Corinthians 3. talks about the judgment seat of Christ when our works will be tried. We'll give an account. Peter puts it this way. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That abundant entrance is the rewards that will be prepared. We'll be waiting. So... All right. Well, that's what I've got for this afternoon. Any thoughts or questions or comments? Yeah, it was really, I thought that was pretty neat. There, was, there were two other uh, examples we could have gone through, but I opted not to, just because I figured this one was going to take us a while. But they had really one other. It was Leviathan however you want to say it, and using the Bible to discern who Leviathan is in the Bible. And uh, it's a neat study as well. Maybe we'll do that sometime. But, all right. Elijah? Well, I just want to add that um, one thing about, when you're talking about scripture, uh, comparing scripture with scripture, um, you know that um, there was a story I, was, I heard about a guy was given, he was given a bunch of commentaries about understanding the Bible better. Mm -hmm. And he, his dad gave him it, and he gave him the box, and the dad wrote on top of the box what the commentaries all were. They're all good, you know, Baptist commentaries, uh, I'm pretty sure. And uh, the dad wrote all the commentaries. What he wrote on the top was all misspelled, purposely. Even the, right? Yeah, even the. Yeah, even the, the or the, however you want to say it. But it was messed up as well. He misspelled the. And uh, he told his son that did that on purpose. You know why? Because he said, you know, that Bible right there you're holding, it's the Word of God. Mm. He says, there's nothing better, like you said in the lesson, than the, the scrub, um, under, no better commentary than the Word of God. Yeah. And then remember, hey, you can go to the commentaries. They're helpful, but that's fallible man. Right. And don't put your trust in that. Yep. Absolutely. Just, uh, you know, I kind of view... <coughs> those things is like just listening to a preacher or listening to a message. Uh, but we do want to be careful about what our sources are because a lot of the most respected writers in history 
are not Baptists, they're not King James, they're, you know, can be, yeah, can be, right. So we just want to be careful about those things and compare Scripture with Scripture. Uh, there's much that can be learned. I have, a, I have a pastor friend, just happens to be a relative as well. He went to Bible college and minored in biblical languages, so learned a lot of Greek and Hebrew. And now he doesn't use any of it, and he said that he has found studying this way, comparing Scripture with Scripture. He goes, I used to think because I knew Greek and Hebrew, I, it put, made me a cut above, and I used to dig into all that stuff. And he said, and I always felt like I had something to say when I get up and could say, well, in the Greek, it means. And he said, but I have thrown that all out. And he said, and I just use my Bible when it comes to that stuff now. And he said, and I have found it to be so much harder to study because there could be hundreds of cross-references and going through and sorting them all out and studying, and you can get so much information that your head hurts, and then you have to figure out how to condense it all into a message. It's a lot of work. It's harder. He said it's harder. I don't know Greek and Hebrew. I mean, I can use a Greek dictionary and a Hebrew dictionary and cross-reference numbers and all that stuff, but uh, he said that he has found it much harder to study this way. But he also says it's much more accurate, and that's from his experience of, you know, kind of running both avenues. So, anyways. All right, well, that's what I got for today. Prayerfully, we got something out of that and had fun looking at that. But I'll go ahead and close us in a word of prayer. We can fellowship for a little bit as we go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time and study. And, Lord, what a, what a beautiful picture. Uh, Ruth is, and even this passage in uh, Proverbs 31 of the virtuous woman, and seeing that correlation then comparing it to the church, and Lord, much we can learn about what you want to see from us. And uh, I just pray, Father, that you'd help us, um, help us to understand, help us to comprehend your word, to see what it is that you want us to, to see and to do, and I pray you'd help us to live uh, in such a way you'd be honored and pleased and glorified. Help our church to be such that you would be honored and pleased and glorified. Lord, I pray you bless our day, give us safety, and we love you and thank you and praise you for all you do for us. 